Good afternoon, good morning, good day, good night. Whatever time of day it happens to be, welcome to another installation of Witch Car Weekly. I don't know why I said installation like that. I was breaking it down into its component words. My name is Daniel Gardner. It is time to take 30 minutes of your time. Thank you so much for being with us uh, to talk over all of our favourite and most notable moments from the week that was in all things motoring. As is typical, I'm joined by two splendid examples of human beings and ones that happen to also know quite a lot about cars and what's going on. Uh, Associate Editor of Motor Magazine, Scott Newman. Me, hello. And Deputy Editor of Wheels Magazine, Andy Enright. Me go ring. Me go ring. Oh, that's wonderful. Just before we uh, started the podcast, we were talking about an incident with me go ring that we may cover later on if we have time. It's not motoring related, but it is bloody fun. And I feel we need to tell the listeners that Andy is currently looking resplendent in a Lawrence Taylor NFL jersey. It's it's um washing day, Scotty. <laughs> oh, is it? Okay. <laughs> so you just grab Christina's, <laughs> grab yes. Christina's wardrobe. The wrecking ball that is my partner, Christina. Yeah. Um, thank you for filling me in on what that was. I just thought it was just a, a snazzy shirt. I don't know anything about the person who wears it normally or there what sport go. it's involved with. Uh, this is not... What sport is it? Is it... American football? Yes. Yeah, right. Well, that's nothing to do with the show. No, not at all. So we're going to talk about cars, if that's right with you. Okay, sounds great. On today's show, speaking of which, a motorsport legend checks out, Scotty barbecues a pony, and Dan narrowly avoids a motoring martyrdom. Mm, Sounds good. It does, doesn't it? What does it all mean? No one knows. We don't. That's what we're going to talk about right now. Starting with some sad news. This week, of course, uh, marked the passing of a motoring uh, motorsport Icon and legend, Nicky Lauda, uh, at the age of, was 70? 70, yes. Um, died after an incredible career in motorsport. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's it, whenever uh, another motoring icon uh, leaves the paddock for the last time, it gives us uh, a good time to review their lives and uh, exactly what they, the legacy they leave behind and the things that they're most uh, remembered for. Um, the great Lauda. Um, gentlemen, what are your favourite moments? What are your favourite things? What what did he do? And what does he leave behind as a legacy and a memory in your mind? Uh, well, I mean... Oh, gesturing from between... Lauda had an incredible life, not just for his sporting accomplishments, but in the way he in the way he went about them. I'll give a you know, two-minute synopsis. So basically, he was the father... He was the son of... from a, He was from a very wealthy family, a bit of a black sheep, borrowed money up to the hilt to get into motor racing, uh, doubled down to get into Formula One, basically. Blagged his way into a Ferrari drive, somehow kept it, and that's where he showed his real talent. Then went on to win three championships while having a break in the middle to form an airline. And sure, then, why not? Because yeah. he's got enough to be concentrating. That's right. And then he retired again and started another airline. And then, yeah, he's a, been a strong architect in the latest round of Mercedes success. He's been the non-executive chairman there, played a pivotal role in getting Lewis Hamilton on the team. So he packed a lot into his 70 years. He's been ill for quite a while. He had a double lung transplant late last year, I think, and he's yeah had all sorts of problems. He's quite well known, obviously, most recently because he was the subject of Rush, the movie, done by the guy I've forgotten. Ron Howard. Ron Howard, thank you. Um, great movie, check it out about the 1976 Formula One season, for which he is most well-known because he had a terrible crash, fiery crash, very badly burned, was given the last rights, returned to the grid six weeks later, and only just missed out on the championship. So, Unbelievable. So it's fair to say not exactly a lazy bastard. Not though. a lazy bastard at all. No. no. Unbelievably passionate about the sport, yeah. incredibly driven, 
But the thing that really stands out for, for me is his personality and that kind of mm. character that he carried through. He was just so committed and and single-minded. He wouldn't be steered. You know, like there's, it's fair to say a lot of Formula One drivers, particularly back in the 70s, were enjoying the lifestyle that came with yes. the sport. Um, James Hunt, his, yep. his absolute nemesis, but also probably quite close friend as yes. well, um, was a classic example of that. You know, loved the, the drinking, loved the partying, loved all of the fun things that came with driving a Formula One car, which is also quite fun. Mm, absolutely. Um, not speaking from experience. Talk to Alex <laughs> about that, the bastard. Um, on the flip side, you have Nicky, who was so single-minded and would not be distracted by all of that stuff. He was really probably the... I mean, in my mind, he was the one who was most passionate about the sport because of his commitment to it. He wouldn't be distracted, you know. And and mm. we were talking, was it last week, about driver talent? Yes. <clears throat> and we were saying how sometimes commitment and work ethic can offset talent. There's no doubt that Nicky Lauda was an incredibly talented driver. But if there was an advantage in being committed and, and, and uh, not being distracted in your sport, then he had it in truckloads. You know? yeah, I mean, he the, was yeah, the one yeah. who was just doing everything he could to become a better driver. And I think the key is he's one of the first maybe to, not one of the first, but definitely a proponent of work smarter, not harder. Totally. If you can get the car to work for you uh, and do the hard work for you, do it. Why work any harder than you need to? Likewise, if you can win the championship coming fourth, win the championship coming fourth. Don't, try some stupid overtaking maneuver just to win the race mm. to win it you know that he's got his eye on the and he's you know he was arrogant he was probably a bit of an asshole but that single-mindedness is what made him so good um in terms of not letting distractions but you know but people respected that absolutely the yeah. that there was one person who would always speak truth to power and that was nicky lauda you know he famously told enzo ferrari that his car was shit yes you know and nobody said that to enzo ferrari and Probably my favourite louder story is nothing to do with F1. Um, it was when he was running his airline and there was a, there was a, a tragic crash. Killed 223 people in 1991. A, a louder airplane went down in mm. Bangkok. And uh, Nicky was, he was so incensed by this and, and was so frustrated that he couldn't get straight answers that he flew to Boeing's headquarters in Seattle and wanted to fly the simulator himself um, in the condition that the plane had been in when the disaster struck. Wow. He was a qualified pilot. He knew mm. what he was doing. Boeing refused. They wouldn't let him anywhere near it. Um, and Lauder basically went nuts in there. And he said, listen, this is my airplane, yeah. um, my name, my damage, so let me do it. And in the end, Boeing couldn't get rid of him. They relented, and he proved in the simulator that there was an o-ring failure on the, re the reverse thrust the reverse thrust was faulty and uh you know he said i'm going to hold a press conference i'm going to say we take a 767 load it up like it was with two pilots deploy reverse thrust in the air and if it keeps flying i want to be on board if you guys are so, are so sure that people can continue to fly these airplanes then let's do it and boeing back down and admitted wow mm. What an incredible yeah. story. Yeah. That's the yeah. thing. I saw a good tweet the other day. It's like everyone's, especially in Formula One now, everyone's so political. You know, it's all very corporate speak, corporate speak. And they're talking, and they mentioned that for, you know, 50 years, Lauda said only the truth and spoke only his mind, and there was no scandal yeah. around him. That was mm. why he was such a great mentor to drivers. Um, yeah. You know, it, I, I had one kind of personal experience with Nicky Lauda 
um, this was, would have been in the mid-90s, I was skiing at La Grave in France, which La Grave is kind of like the Nürburgring of ski resorts. It, there's just a, a lift that goes up onto a glacier, 2,000 metres, there's no piece, no signposting, no avalanche control, no patrolling, nothing. It's wild. No, it's no, a wild not a beginner's Which run. is no. exactly why Andy was there. <laughs> That's um, right. And, and this the, is all a bit soft, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The day was horrible. It was it was a blizzard. It was grey. It was The mountain is scary there at the best of times, and it's foreboding. And Anyone with perhaps a brain would have looked at the weather <laughs> and gone, today's a day to go to the pub. <laughs> not I, Andy. I think that every day, though, <laughs> regardless <laughs> of condition. I'd ski down to the bottom, and there was, there was a river valley at the bottom of of La Grave and you had to walk up to this ancient little village and it was a steep walk and I could see this fella and he was struggling um, to climb up the the bank up to the village so I did what anybody would do I, I offered to you know carry his skis for him give him a hand and we got up to the top and uh, he took his hood back and I realised it was Nicky Lauda and wow. uh, he, he just turned and looked up at the mountain and he, he just said Maybe that's a little bit much for me. <laughs> and, and I, I loved that. It, it was, it was, it was that recognition of, you know, when things probably aren't quite right. And it, it was that recognition that saw him campaigning to get, you know, the Nurburgring taken off the calendar because mm. it was too dangerous. That's a good example of who he is. Like, yes, he would campaign right up until the start of the weekend that the Nurburgring was too dangerous, and then would go out and put it on pole. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Every, so, yeah. everyone talks about the Stefan Beloff lap, you yeah. know, six minutes, 11, like it's some kind of magical thing. Yeah, Lauda was the first to go into seven minutes. I yeah, think. And, and the track was two miles longer. Oh, right. Wow, serious? Yeah. Yeah. He did 657 yeah. in nineteen seventy. Wow, you could probably, if you were good at maths, which I'm not, and I don't know if anyone in this room is particularly good at it, um, you could extrapolate those results and actually work yeah. out whether he's still the fastest. Yeah, he might be, yeah. It was bizarre. And there's thing in the 19... 19- you forget how fast those cars were. Like, oh, you go, oh yeah, dinky die, look, five hundred, you know, fifty-year-old, almost forty-year-old Formula One car. Those things had way over a thousand horsepower per ton. Totally, yeah. and they had super, super zero, zero safety uh, yeah. features yeah. whatsoever. Yeah, absolutely. I, I got absolutely stopped in my tracks the other day. I was looking at some, some louder stuff online, just reading about him, and I scrolled up, and there was just a picture presented very simply, of Nicky Lauda's helmet that he was wearing during the <gasps> crash it all bubbled and burned oh. and you think that is just crazy really really yeah. not and you've driven around the Nürburgring plenty of times like did you ever did you always get a funny little feeling or a, a moment of wistfulness when you went through Bergwerk where he had well, his well you kind of um in a in a road car at road car speeds louder links is is flat knacker mm-hmm. and it, it's it's a corner that you, you kind of show off a little bit at, you know like i'm not even going to lift if people haven't been in the car around there before they start getting a bit frightened but it's not a difficult corner but in an f1 car with that sort of power you know it, it's, I think it's probably very, flat for them as oh, well but they're going about 80 yeah, days an hour faster very different proposition um really nice touch this weekend um seb vettel is going to be wearing a, a nicky lauda replica helmet Oh, wonderful! Yeah, a lot of the teams have, which is good. I mean, uh, you know, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because you know, you feel like they should have a moment silence or something, and they probably will. But it's like it's the last thing Nicky would have wanted. He would have come on, get on with it. Don't you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't crap on about me. I'm gone. Move on. You know. So there you go. The passing of a motorsport legend, and arguably not just an ambassador for Formula One, but ambassador for sportsmanship, and just just. You know, uh, being good at what you do. Telling it how it is. Exactly right. We can all learn exactly something right. from that, I think. Yep. A little bit later, we're going to talk about punishing cars on the track. 
school. Yes, I'm looking at you, Scott Me? Newman. But before that, it is my duty to remind you that there is. We're running out of episodes on uh, Channel 10 for Witch Car. We're up to episode 18 this weekend. Uh, plenty of good stuff happening there. For uh, 3.30 p.m. on Channel 10 this Sunday afternoon. Catch it if you can. And if you haven't been able to, then 10 Play is the place you need to go to watch all of those episodes retrospectively. Or retroactively, which is the right word. I don't care. Just go there. I think. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, take your pick. You know what I mean. Moving on, gentlemen. Um, as you know, I have been the very lucky custodian of a Porsche Cayenne e-hybrid for the last six weeks. And it goes back today. And to be completely honest, I will be very sad to see it go. It's been a wonderful car to live with. Um, I can talk <clears throat> ad nauseum about that car uh, in review uh, but I won't, because I want to talk about just one incident that happened the other day. Um, in a in an effort to view all of the facets of living with a plug-in hybrid vehicle, I've been throwing a number of challenges at this this uh, plug-in KN large SUV over the last six weeks. And the last thing I wanted to do with it is go and shoot my final video with it at somewhere you can get clean energy from, because this is one of the most frequently cited arguments against electric vehicles or anything that runs on electricity is what's the point in filling it up with electricity if all you're doing is moving its tailpipe in inverted commas to the Latrobe Valley or anywhere else they use dirty coal or mm -hmm. or non-renewable ways of producing electricity good question for now it's also a superfluous and soon to be outdated question because there are places like I went in Mount Mercer where there's a wind farm that produces enough electricity to power two Ballarats. So not a small, you know, insignificant operation. So I thought this is a really significant and poignant place to to summarise the KNE hybrid in mm -hmm. the last six weeks. So I went out there with our videographer, JP, who you've both worked with. Mm -hmm. Cracking chap. We found a spot to set up and do a piece to camera. And this is where I have to make some small admission to wrongdoing. There were fences all along and gates saying no unauth unauthorised access, private land, da da da. Except but, you, unless you're doing a film for Witch Car TV with a Porsche Cayenne hybrid. Exactly, and then you have then you have a free reign of the yeah. entire globe. <laughs> now look, tell me, tell me if you too have not. You know what's the expression? He is who who he without sin can cast the first stone. All it's right. It's easier to ask forgiveness than permission. It is. Which one, which of us in this room has not been on a launch at some point or a shoot and just found that that little place that's perfect to take a picture of a car? These, these sides tend to be guidelines. Yes. Yeah. Rules, yeah, yeah guidelines. That's what I think. Exactly. So rather than being on this public track, I decided to go through. I make the point a wide open gate that had a padlock on it, which was not in use. I didn't even open the gate. It was wide open. And instead of parking one side of the fence where the fence was being shot, I went the other side of the fence. I thought, not going to cause a problem to anyone. My God, was I wrong. Okay. A few minutes later, after we'd done a couple shots, someone turned up, who I later learned was the farmer, in a ute. And before he had even got out of the car, the third word out of his mouth rhymed with cluck. And I knew that we probably weren't welcome. But he was angry in a way that was unreasonable. Not We're not talking you've parked 10 metres on private property on a lifeless bit of dirt that's just like the lifeless bit of dust outside. I'm talking like, you know, manic. Was he proper red, deranged, dribbling? Angry. Like he was yeah. he was squaring up to me. Like he, it's amazing I honestly often, thought he was going to hit me. I mean, you would, we'd all have stories like, it's amazing how often this happens that we're out shooting. It's not that dramatic a, you know, with a for stills or film, it's not that dramatic a, an activity that, would cause 
you know, we're not, I don't know, trying to shoot birds out of the sky or anything, but the the response that people give you yeah. is just so out of way. It's like, it's amazing. I wonder how these people get through their everyday lives. So I thought I'd reached a new, realised and experiencing a new level of unreasonable anger. Mm-hmm. But it turns out he thought we were there for a very different reason. And this is what I want to talk to you about. Apparently, this guy, who was the farmer, is pestered, hounded, no less, on a weekly basis by organisations who say that the wind farm shouldn't be there. And they turn up sometimes with cameras and tripods and do press things. And he thought we were the enemy. So that's why he nearly stabbed me to death on the spot and oh. buried me on this land. So did you become friends after he... Well, as soon as I... Re- well, thankfully, the site manager turned up and said, oh, obviously, this guy gets a lot of trouble from people who... who and I said, look, we're here. This is a hybrid vehicle. We're here because we're, we're promoting the cause of clean energy. We, we like what you're doing here. So this was really enlightening for me. There are people out there who still regard renewable energy, clean energy, as a bad idea. And I am staggered that... People think that this is what I, at the end of the day, I thought this, and I said this to JP on the way back. I said, let's take all those people who claim that they the wind farm knocks a few buzzards out of the air. Let's take all those people who say that the noise, the noise is unacceptable. Let's take all these people who are wearing tinfoil hats and say there's human health risks attached to wind farms. Let's take them all to the Trobe Valley and stand them underneath that cloud of yellow smoke that we know from the haunted hills because we spent plenty of time there and say that massive black scar on the ground where you've dug brown coal out for years and years and years and the cloud of yellow crap in the sky is totally preferable to a few bludgeoned eagles. You know what I mean? Wow. And there are still, but there are still people out there. Why? Why are there people still opposed but to Dan, clean... there's a large segment of the community, like relatively large, that think the earth is flat. Are there really? Yeah, there are. Yeah. That's yep. absolutely bonkers. Like, yep. how can they think... Well, anyway, then it, then another wonderful thing happened is that when I wasn't killed, the site manager said, great, well, if you're here to, you know, we'll take you up to the hill to give you some much better viewpoints than this. And then we were all friends. And he took me around to the site office and the people from PowerShop, that are one of the greenest energy retailers in Australia, were there in their Tesla, all siren up, and they were charging their Tesla off of a wind turbine. I'm like, oh, lovely. Nirvana, EV Nirvana. Here yeah. you are, charging an electric car from a wind turbine, perfect. Don't tell me three days. Jokes, <laughs> jokes, <laughs> jokes. You massive dick. It's not true. There is. So if you're listening and you are, a, you know, a, um, an EV skeptic, I saw it with my own eyes. It works. We yeah. can generate and electricity clean. And I waded through uh, the yeah. blizzard of dead bird falling <laughs> out of the sky. But Australia should be at the forefront of this stuff. You know, totally. we should be, you know, generating renewable fuel. We should be you know, creating hydrogen from water using renewable electricity, all of that stuff, you know. Totally. I mean, the country lends itself so much more than, than other parts of the world, which are, I have to say, leagues ahead of us. That's you know? right. We've got space. We've got the smarts. We've got the money. We've got the sun. Yeah. For solar. Wind, waves, everything. Absolutely it? everything. And yet we're a million miles behind. And, yet, and, and people are still opposing it until a government gets behind it, which sadly the recent election result probably means we're a step in reverse on that. Um, yeah, it's, we're always going to be embarrassingly behind the rest of the world. Uh, until we give up our, uh, I was going to say asphyxiation, which would be appropriate, but our fixation <laughs> on our clean coal. I love it when Scotty has a Freudian slut. Slip, slip, sorry. I have to put an extra warning on this week's podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. <laughs> I think that's what people really expect by now. You know, talk. A good proportion of our listeners expect yeah. a bit of a bit of filth. Filth. And I don't mean in the brown coal way. No. 
Speaking of uh, misbehaving, and oh, misbehaving. Well, oh, oh, but you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. Uh, next he, thing. Yeah, I think he doth protest too much. <laughs> yeah, you in the corner there, Relento. Um, you recently spent some time, as is fairly typical for Scotty, on a track, hmm. in a sports car, but this time the sports car responded in a way that you weren't quite expecting. Well, I kind of was expecting a little bit. So this to give the listeners a heads up, this week I wrote a story on our website basically explaining that the current Mustang GT automatic, and I need to put all those qualifiers on it, so the 2018 onwards automatic Mustang GT yeah. cannot survive on track. Wow. I don't mean it can't do a Bathurst 1000. In our experience, it cannot complete two laps, two full throttle laps of a racetrack. That's wow, the one, that's the one that most people buy, isn't it? The GT automatic. Exactly, I would have thought so. So, and that's the one that's doing all the headline numbers, you know. Yeah. All the, you know, it's taken a massive step forward in performance. The new Mustang, primarily because it's got a lot more power and it's got this ten-speed auto. So we first came up against this at Performance Car of the Year last year. Uh, we're at the Bend, quite a warm day, West Circuit, and the Bend is a fast track, so high percentage of throttle, and the car again wasn't able to do two full laps without going into limp home mode, essentially. It cuts, basically it just cuts away all the power, limits the revs, and won't let you change gear. Any idea what was causing it to go into limp home? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. So, um, reported that at the time, but, you know, could have been a one-off. These things happen. Uh, could have been that car. Who knows? It had a few Ks on it. So, we did bang for your bucks again a few weeks ago uh, at Winton. Damp, tr- semi-damp track. Uh, you know, very cold conditions, like 12 degrees. Again, because uh, our usual modus operandi is to get the data we need, we send a, a professional race driver out to do two flying laps. Yeah, we get a number. That's fine. Again, Mustang could not complete two full laps. Um, car yeah. then cooled down for a while, about ten minutes or so. Then I oh, took wow. it out because I needed to drive it as a judge. Again, I videoed this. It's on the website as sort of proof. You can mm. see. So I think from the moment I leave pits, uh, I just put it in track mode, as you know, it's a car with track mode, and just drove. Again, like on a semi-damp track, I think it lasts two and a half minutes before it cuts itself. And then they go, I would do a couple more cool-down laps, and then it couldn't even complete another lap. So what we don't know what exactly um, leads to this. It seems to be our best guess is that because the auto has so many more ratios in the manual, it's always keeping the car in its sort of five to 7,000 RPM okay. sweet spot. Yeah. Which then... So it never has time to take a breath. No. So therefore, it seems to be not a problem with the transmission, but a trans- problem with the engine, so either coolant temp or cylinder head temp that's then getting it out of its working window. Right. So it begs the question, though, should a, should a perform- should any car, like any performance car, be able to cop track work? Mm. Well, I mean, yes. Okay, there's two ways of looking at it. My immediate response would be yes, of course it does. If you're pertaining to be a sports car, Hmm. then that includes a bit of light track abuse. Yes, can't do that. It's not really a sports car. But the other, the other part of me is thinking: well, realistically, how many Mustang GT auto owners will hit the track? Not many. Perhaps Ford has just designed this car for purpose. Yeah, I mean, the other thing is during Picotti, it did happen once on the road. Ooh, uh, particularly, okay, well you know, particularly long, you know, we're talking probably 20 Ks of spirited driving uphill, load on the engine. Um, and it happened a very, at the very, very end of that. Um, but, I mean, I would argue that, I mean, it, it's funny, writing the story, it will not pertain to probably 95% of owners. 
good yeah. mate of mine's got yeah. one, and you'll drive it and you'll be perfectly happy with it because it's yeah. a great car. It's fast, sounds great, handles well. They've done a great job with it. Mm-hmm. But it's obviously right on the limit because yeah. even doing performance testing, you've got to nail a Mustang in like your first couple of runs. Otherwise, cylinder head temps will go yep. up. Once they get a bit above like 105, you can just see trap speed will start to go 177, 175, 174, right. 173. So, so the degradation is there early on. So yeah. begs the question, though. Uh, well, no, actually, this reminds me. Um, you remember the, the, the one of the, the state police forces was looking at the Mustang yes. as a potential replacement to the Commodore Falcon, whatever. Yep. Uh, and it didn't pass all the tests. It was Yeah. That's and, right. And this yeah. was what, perhaps one of them, I guess. Yeah, that was the uh, previous car with the six-speed auto. I think that may have been a transmission calling issue. Right. Uh, whether the new one still has that with the ten-speed, I don't know. But yeah, it's certainly. An issue. Uh, good Did journalism. They... Right to reply. Has Ford said anything about this? Uh, they have. They basically said the Mustang isn't meant to be a track-capable car. It's which meant is... to be a sports tourer, which is fair enough. But then that's got a track mode in it. Yeah, and the thing Ooh. is, you you say that Wrecked. ninety-five percent of the people won't. The five percent of the people who will will mm. be the most committed, the most vocal people online, yes. the, the the real enthusiasts about that car. Um, so that'll be interesting to see how they come back from that. Um, am I right in thinking that the new Camaro has that same ten-speed? Similar, yeah, similar. And then that's the thing; it may not be the transmission that. What's no. interesting though is the response was. The Mustang isn't a Ford. The base Mustang isn't a Ford Performance product. Ford Performance have you know you'd expect the yeah. level of trackability, um, but the Ford base Mustang is not. But all you need to make it and a Ford Performance product apparently is a track pack, which is. But that doesn't include any cooling issues. Right. It's a suspension. It's probably not going to alleviate the same problem. Yeah, no. race, race tracks can do surprising things to cars. I remember the. I was going to turn to you at this yeah. point, Andy, and say, I don't. I can't think of a person in the room better qualified to talk about killing something on a racetrack. <laughs> Please but, continue. Yeah, Clio 197, which is uh, <laughs> a car that you would buy and think this is a, a really great little thing for a racetrack. I remember driving that on the Nürburgring, and in the in the carousel there, the car had such a massive brain fart with the ESE. It came to a complete stop. You couldn't drive it. You had your foot to the floor and it had stopped itself. Wow. It, oh, it come it was rolling on, over or the something. The carousel of all parts yeah, of all racetracks yeah. in the world. That's the one that's going to cause it to, to not... Yeah. And it was his 16th out. lap. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, we, we were at the bend the other week driving the new Porsche 911, yes. the 992 one. And uh, I was following you at one point and the brake pedal went long on the mm. Porsche. So even cars that you think are the very sort of acme of, of quality engineering, like a Porsche 911, can wilt That's fairly the one. rapidly under That's the one. The if you ask anyone with any experience of, of punishing cars on tracks, the Porsche 911 is the one that you can drive to the track, do it all day and go home without even mm. brake check. must be said that that car had been driven solid for an hour. It yeah. was in the last session. Yeah, it, it had a bit of a <laughs> wow. pace thing. But... but uh, <laughs> The other, the other interesting thing to come out of that 911 thing was they were saying that uh, if you go on track, don't buy the carbon brakes. No, because it steals. Yeah. What? Yep. Yeah. No, no, what what do you need the carbon brakes for then? Just well, showing off. Um, to keep your wheels clean, so you don't get <laughs> yes. brake dust on them. That, <laughs> yes. that was that was what the that was what the Porsche technology. Twenty grand us. to keep your wheels clean. Just get yep. on your hands and knees and use a bloody sponge, you lazy git. Yes. <laughs> How are we going for time? We got still got a bit more. What do you want to say, Scotty? Well, I mean, it is important to say this isn't limited to. The Mustang. I mean, I have, I've got a Subaru BRZ long-termer at the moment. Um, I took it to Phillip Island for a day. It's the TS, so it's got the Brembos. Yeah. So you would have thought that... Again, Subaru came back and said, this isn't a track car. But I would argue that someone walking into a dealership who'd like a bit of track activity 
would feel justified in buying the BRZ with the bigger brake package mm-hmm. to go and do tires. that. Yes, yep. they said, you know, they would say, if you want to go and do track stuff, upgrade your car. But apparently, according to Subaru, it needed all new brakes after a day at Phillip Island. What? Which isn't a particularly brake-intensive circuit no. in a BRZ. Um, I think it is Subaru just being a little bit cautious. Um, but even so, and again, we've had, uh, we had an Audi R7 at Bacotti once, two laps, and it had the carbons on it, two laps, and the brakes, brakes were done. And had no brakes wow. left. I was going to weigh into this conversation saying that I managed to get Subaru Lavor gearbox to shit itself on a track in Japan, but now you've just canned the BRZ. I'm probably not. No. <laughs> oh, what do you know? I have already. Look, actually, in that case, so this was the international launch of the Lavor. Um, we're on that cycling track in Japan. I don't know if you guys have. have uh, it's where Subaru like to do their international launches. It's not a car track, it's a cycling track. It's a velodrome. It, well, no, it's a simulated <laughs> it's a country floor. sort of. Yeah, yeah, but it's really good. It's, de- it's, de- it's actually terrifying because there's no runoffs, yeah. there's no gravel traps, no arm case uh, and we were driving the Lavorgs and it was uh, Kurt Dupre from another publication of a colleague and friend of ours <laughs> and we both went out in Lavorgs and both came back with gearbox warning lights on and the Japanese engineers all came over and said what did you do what did you do and we were like well we're just we're just driving it like mm. you know spirited manner but we're yeah. just driving it Anyway, they weren't angry with us they were really pleased they're like this is the kind of stuff we need to, to be doing in development um, we're sorry it directly impacted your experience went away found a problem sorted it and, and as far as I know they actually came up with a fix based on the international law now, now that you mentioned that um, we were up in the uh, north of Finland once and uh, there was a big ice lake we were with Volvo and it was a XC70 wagon and, and they cut this great big track on the ice lake set us out in that and of course it's great fun driving on ice and snow you're having a whale of a time they said right okay you can all come in for dinner now or if you like, you can stay out. And everyone went in for dinner apart from three of us. What? Who just stayed out and it got dark. And then we ran out of <laughs> petrol. And uh, every single car that stayed out, all three of these vehicles, completely cooked the differential. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, Wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll tell a story for another time. But I'll just wrap up with, uh, that's what I hope comes out of this Ford Mustang thing. Like, it's not nice writing, you know, despite what some people think. It's not nice writing negative stories. No. But hopefully, you know, this is read and they do some tests and it's probably an easy fix. I'm not sure what's, what the fix is, but it's an easy fix. And then the next car, because it's a great car and you should be able to enjoy it on track because God knows that's the only place you can enjoy these cars these days. Um, so, yeah, hopefully yeah. we see a yeah, Absolutely. The best, the best car manufacturers out there, including Ford, including Subaru, do listen to this kind of feedback and they do act on it. So it's, it's good. It's good to keep... It's our job. It's good to keep whinging about cars and trying to break them keep on track. Keep the bastards honest. Gentlemen, let's get out of here. Thank you so much for tuning in again to another week of Which Car Weekly. Uh, we will be back again. In the meantime, keep up to date with all our social media activities and go to the website, whichcar.com.au. And why not pick up a mag and give it to your kids? Start a new generation of people who like to read print. Because it's noble. My name is Daniel Gardner, that's Scotty Newman, and that is Andy Enright. Talk to you next time. Bye.